This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. In this episode, we speak with the two coaches leading British Nordic's elite team on the World Cup. They are Hans Christian Stadheim and Jostein Vinjure. Both are Norwegian and are based in Norway. Over the past few years, Britain has made a great run of it for a small nation where, for all practical purposes, snow is fleeting except in Scotland. We connected with the two coaches earlier this week to get their thoughts on their emerging program. I'm interested in talking to you folks for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, I was thinking about this this morning, um, outside of like the Slovenian women's sprint team, right, which is, I would consider a pretty small program, they kill it. You know, I think you guys are right there in terms of Great Britain, right? I mean, it's a, it, it, obviously the men's side. I would consider it to be pretty deep. I really kind of want to drill down on how y'all make it work and from the coach's perspective and really thinking about, you know, where athletes are located, where you guys are located and why you're there, really how you make it work long-term throughout the year, but also I think it's also interesting for everyone to kind of know what it looks like on race day. Small staff, I think historically, you folks have had a relationship with the Norwegian team without waxing. So let's get some intros here. And I'll leave it up to you guys as to who wants to go first, but who are you, where are you based, and what's your role with you know, the British squad? And I'll do some follow-ups. Hans, you can go first then. That's only yeah. after seven minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, my name is Hans Christian. So 35 years old from Norway. Um, I guess uh, going into Jason, um, the goal for coaching uh, the British national team is, of course, to win medals in uh, major championships. That, I think, is the main goal for me and Ostein. And, of course, it's a big, big challenge when you you have three athletes, maybe four athletes that you can do it with compared to Nor- Norway that has uh, 10,000s of female and male athletes. But um that really is motivating for me. And of course, uh, the possibility of, of seeing the whole process through um, kind of the whole chain uh, from development squad to waxer to physio to, yeah, testing, what type of test are we going to do and so on. That's, that's super motivating. And of course, um, doing so, I have a very good collaboration together with uh, Jostein, which I think is natural, Jostein, for you to take on. Because you were pretty shy now, uh, you kind of said a lot more about your background. Um, <laughs> you are the one who have an education in being a coach from two of us, uh, at least from a higher level. I think you can say a bit about that first before I start. Yeah, yeah I mean, mean, my background is I, I got a PhD uh, in sports medicine, um, done a lot of... Um, scientific work at a place called the Wheaton School of Sports Sciences, uh, actually been in the U.S. Uh, for a part of my PhD in, um, together with uh, oh, John Ivey. Uh, he's a specialist in nutrition. And um, yeah, and uh, I got into the British team by coaching something which is called Lean Ski, where uh, the two most known athletes from that uh, club is Hans Christer Holund and Simon Hextakrieger. Um, 
And by, by being their coach, um, I kind of got an opportunity to coach Muzzy when he was on a private team. And that led me into the British national team before the Olympics in 2018, where um, uh, that's also when Jostam kind of came aboard full full time. He, he, he was aboard a bit earlier than me, but that's when we both got on full time for the British team. Uh, I'm Jostam Vinjerud. I'm um, 41 years old and... Uh... Like Hans said, we have been working on the British team now since uh, 2017. I started to work a bit earlier with the team already in 2015 when uh, I got uh, Andrew Young on a private team I was coaching in Norway called Team uh, Synfjell, where we had uh, lots of uh, good skiers. One of them was, marked himself really well last year, uh, Mikael Gunnulfsen, who may uh, remember was winning the opening race in Beitostolen, uh, beating all the national team guys before he got sick and then broke broke his leg. So he never, he never got to show what he's good for in the World Cup. Um, I got into coaching uh, when I lived up north in Norway, in Tromsø, around 2010. I was a skier myself as a junior. Then I had some years off, took an education, some education in uh, European politics, and I have some education and worked as a policeman, uh, police officer for, for some years before... Some at the police station told me that uh, I had too much spare time so I could help them to coach in a club uh, up in Tromsø. So, so I did. And then uh, a couple of years later, I got the possibility to have a position on um, one of the regional teams in Norway as a coach. And after that, I haven't been working as a policeman. So I have almost, uh, yeah, this is my ninth season now I figure out actually being a full-time coach. You guys are obviously both based in Norway. How often do you actually physically, and think in like maybe a non-COVID year, I know we've just gone through a funky 15, 16 month period. How often do you have to travel actually physically back to Britain for meetings? Or is that really not part of your requirement, you know, in terms of this position? I think, to be honest, since um, Hans and I started together in 2017, we've been in Britain maybe five times max yeah. because uh, what everybody has figured out this year, even though I was struggling a bit to get on Zoom here today, uh, we ha this is, has been our working style for years already, being phone meetings and we can solve everything over computer. Uh, our athletes are based in Norway and that's where we do the primary work with them. And uh, yeah, the, we have had um, one camp in Scotland since we started. We want to go back there, of course, but uh, it has to be a better timing than it is right now. We had a very, very nice camp up in Huntley where uh, Mercy and Young is from. So, so that was really great. Mm -hmm. Of course, also, Jason, a bit with uh, with athletes, um, like two of them, the most maybe known, uh, Young and Musgrave, were already located in Norway when we got aboard. Um, so it was kind of, kind of natural maybe to make... Um, a system where we made most of the athletes move to Norway and we kind of used Norway as a base. So James Clunet also moved um, to, to uh, Norway, uh, was based or is based in Oslo. And they've kind of also then now uh, the British um, GB Snow Sport also made this program, a development program where athletes actually stay in Lillehammer for part of the year to, to train on snow. Uh, that's the junior and development squad. So um, it's kind of moved its business from the UK into Norway. 
uh and uh of course it's because it's better skiing conditions there than it is in most parts at least of the united kingdom you know it's it's interesting because i think it seems like a very obvious model right like you go to the country that's had the the most success and it's also accessible i mean people speak english it's not like you know russia historically with all those issues has also had a lot of success but integrating into that culture i'm assuming can be very difficult um, do you get other teams that reach out to you, whether it's development programs, junior squads, elite level squads, in terms of like how to make it work? I mean, you have a small pool of athletes, but moving to Norway, one, seems to have had some paid off some dividends for, you know, British Nordic sport for obvious reasons. Um, but it also affords them to tap into a ski culture that's tested and their skiers on any given day you can tap in with the best athletes in the world so there's a lot there to unpack but yeah there are of course there are people seeking to us uh, when they see how the guys have been working and we should not forget that the reason for um, that hans and i have to work in the position we have now in the position of british skiing that is mainly not because of us that is because of all the good work that was done 10 15 years ago who made it possible for athletes like Youngie and Mussey to develop into, into world-class skiers uh, with a background from Huntley and being from Aberdeenshire in Scotland, which should not be possible at all to be one of the best skiers in the world. So that is, of course, Roy Young, who was with the team for so many years, uh, Andrew's dad, and also and also Mussey's dad, Frank Musgrave, who did a lot of work for the team and, and all their families and the mothers and everything. So it's like, it, it's a... It's many reasons uh, why they have come so far and are based in Norway. Because then when these guys were 18 years old, that was kind of a natural choice to go to Norway. Mussi was the first going out, being invited by by people from the Norwegian ski gymnasium at, at Hovden. So, but other teams and other athletes then see kind of the path they have taken. So there are athletes now trying to do the same. So this season we have one Austrian from the Austrian national team who trains with us on, on training camps, uh, Mika Fermulen, who's a young, talented Austrian skier. And he is so, so the same as these guys saw a couple of years ago that he, ha- he had to move to no- Norway and Lillehammer, preferably to be kind of, to give, him, give himself the possibility of being a world-class skier. So, so we see that the choices these guys have done and the work they have done. Uh, are being are, are motivating for for other athletes as well from other countries. Yeah, and I think also we've been very lucky, Yossan, to to have um, since we both have worked previously before going into the national uh, team. We we've been working with sports clubs in Norway, so we've been super lucky and um, been able to to train together with, for instance, Lillehammer Ski Club uh, for the athletes that have not been part of the national team or. Uh, Nicole Marie Baith, which was part of our Continental Cup team, um, she was able to train with a specific team in Oslo called Team Obus um, and have coaching from the, uh, their coaches and train together, together with other talented girls. Um, so we've been super lucky to be able to, you know, um, use the facilities that's possible to use if you are a Norwegian. Uh, and they've kind of taken aboard these athletes with open arms and shared with them that Norwegian culture of cross-country skiing, which I don't think is that complicated. It's just a lot of people that like to ski and they train together. And when you do that, you get 
I think, results as long as you um, do it somewhat controlled. And uh, it's basically what you see a bit with uh, with the American team as well. Like they got now a big group of super talented boys, men and girls and training together, pushing each other. And they're kind of increasing the bar of what's possible to achieve. Um, and like Jessica Diggins now winning the yellow jersey this year is just a testimony, I think, for kicking Randall and all these other athletes that kind of led the way. And it's a bit what Jostan's saying, like we would not be sitting here coaching three athletes that were top eight last year in the World Cup um, or better if it wasn't for the job that these uh, volunteers and mom and dads back in Huntley or Scotland put down 10 years, 15 years ago. So, um, yeah, uh, it's a very short actually answer to a very long, <laughs> very long, uh, you could say, story leading up to today. So, you know, speaking about that, that longer story, it, it seems like British Nordic has, is, is there seems to be a new emphasis on development. I mean, these, not to say that these athletes are old, but Musgrave's been around for a little bit. And so they want some new, new athletes in that pipeline. How, what are some of the challenges for you folks um, you have the cachet of like working with the best of the best in Britain, but they're based in Norway. How, what are some of the challenges you guys face in terms of tapping into those athletes and motivating those athletes back in Britain who might be, you know, 14 through 18 years old and based in Britain almost all year, except for maybe a, a stint in Lillehammer? I'm saying are uh, what we what's a good thing now with the British system is that there is still a, a line from uh, Mercy and Youngie, uh, especially and back to Britain because uh, last weekend in Huntley I tried to get hold of Roy Young but uh, on the phone but that was difficult because he was out all day with kids training and wanting them to be cross country skiers he's like. He's, he and the group up there are still doing the same job as they did with their own kids 15 years ago and wanting to motivate them. So as long as, as they are motivated as coaches and, uh, and they, they get parents into the sport, uh, we are pretty well connected. Uh, but there's no, uh, no secret that there are, the recruitment in Britain is, of course, much, much, much lower than in most other countries that we face or meet in World Cup. But... There are there is a job in in Great Britain this weekend. There had been like a, a ID identification test camp to get uh, people uh, or kids into skiing and uh, cross country skiing and biathlon, uh, who is uh, being done together with UK Sport, who is one of our biggest funders at the moment. So uh, so there is there is a work back there, but it's it is difficult. But we see with the results that the team are having that there are kids who wants to ski because of uh, Youngie and Mercy and, and Jimmy and the, the things they see from them in World Cup. And we also see that uh, Brits based abroad uh, wants to ski for Britain instead of skiing for, for instance, USA, France, Canada, wherever they live. So right now we have a, we have a new guy coming into the, into the development team or uh, Continental Cup team this season. He came from Canada last year, uh, Gabriel Gledhill. So, so the that's that's uh, two recruitment arenas for us. And then I think also like we have a um, a person who's been previously part of the British Nordic team, Alex Standen, who's working yes. with the juniors yeah, and, and under twenty three athletes. And he 
he is like Roy Young, super, super motivated, and he kind of knows what it takes at the same time. Yeah. So he has a lot of knowledge, and and he does a fantastic job with these juniors and you could say development squad athletes. Um, so that's kind of the pipeline where kind of you could say that in an ideal world, these athletes get coaching from him. And then it goes into the what's called the Continental Cup team, which is the level below the World Cup team. And then hopefully these athletes are able to progress through getting into the World Cup team. That's kind of how the setup is right now. Uh, but as Jostan mentioned, I mean, there's not too many people that um, decide I want to become a full-time cross-country skier. So we don't have any talents to lose. So, so if there are uh, any... Uh, men or girls listening to this podcast and they like skiing for Great Britain, they should, they should contact and um, get yeah. into it. Yeah. And it's enough to be a quarter bit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a quarter, is yeah, that what you said? You said to be yeah. a quarter Brit? I, that wouldn't be too, I'm trying to think. I mean, like, yeah, maybe in the U.S. that might be fairly low-hanging fruit to tap into that, you know? Yeah. Um, I think so too. So what is it, you know, I'm kind of curious what this looks like for you folks once the World Cup season starts, you know, kicking in and think of, you know, like opening weekend in Ruka. What does it look like in terms of, you know, the national squad? I, I'm assuming I could be wrong. There's no like British wax bus, right? No, no. we are still in containers, but we are the best team in the world who still walks in containers. Okay, so I'm curious, like how, because that's been something we've talked about in the past. It's like, okay, each nation is allocated a certain number of bibs, a certain number of wax techs, blah, blah, blah. How might that work at the highest level for a British skier? How do you get, you know, using Musgrave on, and, you know, like 2017 in Lottie, right? The guy's a nanosecond out from a medal in that 50K. What's the process for his skis or anybody's skis for that matter to make them competitive with Norwegian skis? As many knows, uh, we have a good cooperation with the Norwegian team. Um, that started before me and Hans got on board. So that was uh, Roy Jung and Knut Nystad together. Uh, Knut was a uh, walks manager for the Norwegian team. And they needed bibs and they had a good relationship already with, with British skiers. So that was a kind of an ideal match. Uh, Great Britain needed uh, uh, more support. And through that cooperation with Norway, uh, we get uh, get very, good, very, very good testing results. We get uh, sometimes they also walks our skis, uh, especially on the glide side. But the typical thing is that uh, uh, we have one to two walkers on race days, most likely two. And they are the ones who find skis, select skis, sometimes together with, uh, from, in Moses' case, Solomon, uh, young years and Fisher. So that's uh, uh, is, uh, together with them. But most of the time we do that ourselves. And, uh, and uh, our walkers have some discussions with the Norwegians, what they are doing, and then we go for it. And uh, uh, we are a small team, but, uh, but it's pretty efficient on race days. And then often, if if um, if we need to, like if it's a classic race, uh, it's quite common as well that either me or Jostan would be out with some of the wa the waxers testing skis or testing skis together with athletes uh, or doing, if needed, a structure test on the test skis or, or glide uh, testing on those skis because 
um, you, you need to use every possibility you have to 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 get as good skis as possible. So, um, I mean, me and Jostan would also then most of the time have to do some type of testing um, in the morning uh, together with the waxers, uh, though they of course do the heavy heaviest job. Yeah, and I sometimes I get the question that. Um, that the people think or they ask if 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 Norway kind of use us to get their bibs, but uh, I would say it's the uh, totally opposite. We get a lot more out of this than the Norwegians do. They they will they they get a lot of it, of course, but we will never afford to have uh, grinding machines. We will never afford to have the test system they have. We will never afford to have the uh, all the facilities they can they can produce and make. So we are. Uh, we are uh, very lucky to have that close co cooperation with Norway, and they uh, they grind most of our skis uh, uh, also during championships, which is a big advantage. So, so we are, I think we uh, that uh, that <laughs> cooperation saves us for a lot of lot of money every season, uh, and also gives the boys uh, boys and girls good skis. And it's, I mean, I know there's a good relationship. Is it open enough so that on race morning, it's like real open dialogue you can ask i mean something as basic as what's working for i mean you know real basic questions yeah i have another one example is for instance from olympics in pyeongchang where we were, we were quite <laughs> we were quite low in numbers and stuff so it was me and hans and one boxer so we were working uh, too hard all the time but uh, it paid off but then uh, uh, on the race day of the of the skyathlon, there we were out testing skis, and we actually hadn't got told of what grip we were going to choose for us yet. So then I uh, met some of the Norwegian boxers, the ones being responsible for grip, which uh, which we know pretty good. So just went over to them and asked what are what are you guys putting on today, and they took up a box of it and uh, what they use, and I I borrowed it and put it on Mercy skis to make sure that uh, he had the right grip there in the end, and. And uh, so it's very open and very close. And in the end, there was a competition there. Mercy was in the in the fight for medals against the Norwegians there too. So they don't see uh, um, any. They see us as competitors, but they're also like teammates in, in those cases. I think your line is spot on. It's uh, I think it's um, of course these wax questions. Uh, our wax managers would be able to answer maybe even better than me and your time, but. But I know that there's a really good collaboration there, and I feel at least that we get all the information that we need, <clears> both <throat> when it comes to powder on the skis or structure or what type of grip wax it is, or like it's totally transparent and totally opened. And yeah. they uh, open their books practically. They show the yeah. books and show what's working. So that's yeah. very good. And we shouldn't mention our box manager, of course, because he's doing a very hard job. Uh, his name is Swedish. Uh, Magnus Björken has been working with the Swedish team for, for 10 years before he came to us uh, before last season. Uh, we were supposed to have him on the camp last week in uh, Norway and Sognefjell, but the Swedes have so much COVID, so they're not <laughs> accepted in Norway. So uh, all our skis and, our, and the team van is, is <laughs> up in North Sweden. <laughs> Let me bring up Devin for a sec. So we obviously speak quite a bit about you know, when a British athlete does well, it's a topic of conversation with us. But one thing in particular we spoke about a couple of years ago, and I think it was the 2019-2020 season when like Muzzy, for example, kind of had an off year. And I think he pulled himself from the World yeah. Cup, uh, but I'm not certain um, at, at one point. Okay. 
So one of the things I think Devin, you know, he seems to have the inside line on some gossip, but he's like, yeah, he either did way too much time, at, you know, at altitude, he was overtrained. Um, so that said, I'm kind of curious from that experience, um, you're coming into a year that's an Olympic year that poses its own set of challenges. I'm sure you folks have tapped into the latest research coming out of Norway and a little bit from Sweden on that group that did the paper on how to train for Beijing. And I'm sure none of that was news for you. But, you know, reflecting on the sort of experimentation that may have gone on or not have gone on with training and altitude the past couple of years, how are you guys thinking about the role up to Beijing and how to kind of put those athletes um, in the best position to form at, you know, higher, relative higher altitude? No, I think, I think that uh, it's quite clear uh, for the all British uh, sports, it's Olympics that counts. So I think uh, both me and Yostan, when we've been planning training, uh, the goal has been Beijing and we've, used a lot of time in altitude uh maybe not so much last year because of covid but before that we've had longer periods of four weeks together with the boys uh, at 80 1900 meters uh, and that's of course um one of the reasons why we've done that is actually to see how the athletes have get affected by that if it works and how it affects performance so i think we have a very strong data we collect i like to collect a lot of data and test these athletes in the laboratory so i do think we have a lot of data supporting what they should do this year uh in in of what you're asking about altitude um so i think we feel quite secure about that and uh, back to what devin said with muzzy i think uh, that's kind of one of the cool things of being on this team as a coach is that you can have a season like that one that was without a championship and try something new, try your boundaries. Where is, where is the cliff? And uh, if you go over the cliff, well, then you know for sure I'm not going to do that again. Um, and that's what maybe a lot of uh, other nations can't do because they might risk their national team spot or these type of things or funding and, and these things. Well, Andrew knew he was taking a chance with the things we we're doing. We as coaches knew he was taking a chance. And... Um, he had one of his best tests ever two weeks before the season started. And then as the season started, it, it didn't go as planned, but uh, it was close. I think there was a lot of really good learning um, looking back at that season, what really worked and what didn't work. And uh, I think that just made him even more confident in what he needs to do um, to continue to develop it as an athlete. And um the two other boys, which often don't get mentioned in that season, had their best season ever. I, I would say it was almost like a breakthrough season for Andrew Young when it comes at least to distance skiing. Um, and James was in his first semifinal that year in sprinting. So for those two athletes, the testing uh, worked really well and, and they didn't go over the cliff. So um, that's the cool thing of being on the British team. You're, you can do these kind of research on yourself. So if you can summarize in just a few sentences, what, what may have been different that year that was kind of pushing it towards the edge? Was it just like greater intensity or greater intensity at altitude or total, total load on the body was too big. So <laughs> a combination of everything, it's not one specific thing. I think, I think it's, 
everything like the load of training the load of altitude the load of nutrition the load of intensity was just too big uh, and um, yeah i don't understand if you agree on that but that's at least my opinion yeah it is that is um it was very close to be a super successful i'm pretty pretty sure but that sport but um, that's also the good thing about our team like uh, han said that we we can we can risk sometimes and and also then um, when things occurs as a small team we are able to turn around fast and do changes uh, who are hopefully good for the team i often use the expression hans i've heard it many times but uh, we are like a sometimes like a small speedboat that can change direction pretty fast and then go for a target but then and then maybe have an advantage to the bigger teams but when they turn around they are like hangar ships or coming with planes and uh, soldiers and uh, and cannons and everything so then they will beat us but um, sometimes when we are small and fast we can we can beat them how are you folks i don't it's been a bit since i've really looked at travel restrictions and what the parameters are for certain nations in europe um, right now, how are you folks planning on, you know, traveling to or acquiring that altitude for your athletes before the season? We will go um, to uh, altitude camp in Livigno in the autumn, and then we will do most of the altitude uh, from uh, December on to the to the Olympics. So probably less. So probably less than a lot of other people are planning. Here's here's something. Uh, complete, just because I think I read this in the news and I I remember Devin bringing this up. But like, for example, you know, the traditional method of using like altitude tents that is banned or historically has been banned uh, relatively, you know, recently it's been banned in Norway. Um, but I think I've read recently that that's being changed. Is that right across all sports? Yeah. yeah. Last week. Okay. So, so is that, and I also know, like having looked at the literature that some people say, yeah, it's effective. No, they're not effective, but now that's, and again, like just to frame this, that it's not like some doping method that that's legal. It seems like that's legal everywhere except like Norway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but is that part of sort of how you might integrate, um, into some training paradigm? For, for no, our, not, yeah, not. we will not do that. Any type of, even if it were cabins or houses, we would not use that. The, the The literature is quite clear that the gains you get are so small, and you have to live in this tent, or and it makes a shit ton of noise. And uh, I'm quite sure that the recovery, uh, sleeping in that tent compared to in a normal bed, is going to take away a lot of the effects. But uh, if people want to do it, they can do it. But we we're not going to do that, at least. And also the other fact is that since it's an Olympic season, we don't like to to take new things into the training. Uh, we have done uh, lots of uh, lots of good work the last four years and learned a lot. So this is kind of the season where we should do our exam and, and, and do all the good things. We have we have tried before to change things and try new things in important seasons and failed. So for instance, with Yongi to to Pyeongchang in 2018, which was no success for him. So. We are not interested in doing that again. So that is, it's about, uh, what does Roy used to say, Hans? Is it only learning and learning or is it failing and learning or <laughs> winning and winning and learning? <laughs> so, something like that. And yeah. I say, say there's yeah. only failing and failing. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess 
Yeah, why don't you, I'm going to let you guys take the lead on this, but some of the challenges, I mean, it's obviously noticeable. We're not talking about like, you know, uh, women, you know, British women day in and day out on the World Cup. So how are you folks um, trying to build that team and get those skiers up to at least, you know, the speed at which they can be scoring points, we'll just call it, you know, top 30 on the World Cup. Yeah, last, um, we had, uh, uh, since uh, since I've uh, been into the team or in British skiing since 2015, there has been two two women has done uh, World Cup races, Annika Taylor and Nicole Marie Bath, both was originally based in, in US and came on to the, to, to the British team. Uh, both of them had huge progress, but... Uh, yeah, they ended their career. Annika stopped after uh, CFL 2019, and Nicole stopped after after this season. So she's not doing next season. Um, we think, of course, it is uh, almost a shame that we don't have uh, any women on either the Continental Cup team or the World Cup team. So uh, that's a huge challenge for for us um, and for British skiing to get also uh, talented women into cross country skiing. Yeah, and it's hard also then when, when you know that, you know, as we said earlier, uh, independent of genders, it, it's a few skiers that uh, get to the level where they kind of get up to the Continental Cup team, which basically means you continue skiing and do it full time after being a junior. Um, and so not having any females or women now um, choosing to do that path uh, of course uh, makes it even difficult to make an environment which i think is super important uh, independent of gender um so we we just really have to work hard to um if there are females coming into the junior system or development squad we just have to really really focus on uh on them and trying to give them a pathway so that they also see that it is possible because, uh, I mean, me and Jostan, we will be more than happy to coach females uh, also. Um, that would be the dream to have a lot of women and males on the World Cup team uh, going out doing World Cups together. That's, that would be really, really, really amazing. Yeah, and we see that is uh, more and more important. It's like both Hans and I, we come from a uh, uh, background where uh, gender equality is taken for granted and uh, both of us have... Uh, mothers who are uh, have strong opinions about that and fathers who are go- good role models as well and things like that so uh, for us it's uh, we don't want to be like only a men's club we want to we want to be a, a team for women and girls as well and we know uh, that there are uh, some talented young girls now coming into the junior ranks uh, who are based uh, some in Canada and some in Norway but uh, there's also then still a long way to get into up to the World Cup level, and we also see now that is more and more important and more and more focus on having uh, uh, mixed relays, for instance. Um, and it shouldn't be that we kind of disqualify ourselves for taking part on some of the most impor- uh, important competitions just because we can't have girls or don't have girls. If if you have, um, I know you mentioned that you know the the benchmark is a quarter British to, you know, be part of whatever it is, you know, getting an athlete passport or, you know, you're welcome onto the British team or whatever the the hoop is that you have to jump through. Um, But speaking specifically of uh, British-based athletes that are in Britain, 
what are some of the you know challenges in terms of you know you you might identify a female athlete who has you know strength tests uh physiology tests that are off the charts and you're like wow this is a we might have someone here who, who who at least superficially meets um, the marks of someone who might have some potential here. In Britain, what are some of the challenges you have in terms of like drawing them towards Nordic sport and them getting sucked into another sport or another interest? And I know what they are here in the States and I'm just curious. I don't want to lead you here, but what are some of those challenges that you face in Britain? in terms of uh, keeping those athletes and attracting them? I think the hardest part, uh, arrest me if I'm wrong, Hans, but that is actually just to get them to the ski environment uh, because there are so many other sports that are more attractive in GB, especially when you see everything was done before the Olympics in London and all you see after that in cycling, track and field, all these traditional endurance sports. Is they of course triathlon for instance they get much more attention and it's uh, much more well known so therefore it's uh, sad for us that we don't have a uh, a woman who is uh, regularly doing world cups for instance because that would have been uh, somebody to look up to and and be a be a role model for young young girls and women as well. Yeah, I agree, and of course, I mean. Um, of course, cross-country skiing, we could all sit here, all of us, and argue how big it can be in uh, in Great Britain. Uh, seemingly, there's just parts of uh, the whole kind of country, if you call Great Britain for one country, it's just part of it that has snow during the winter. So, I mean, like Scotland can have snow, for instance. Um, and, of course, then you're competing against bigger sports, and, and bigger sports are typical summer Olympic sports, uh, if it's track or field or it's biking or it's triathlon. So it, it would be that they would then have more women or females joining into those sports. And then, of course, they have um, a bigger uh, environment where there is a bigger group of, of, of girls training together. And of course, that makes it much more social, even if it's a independent sport we're doing. It's still a team sport. And, and I think yeah. believe that if you're going to go to the highest um, level, if that's top 10 or top 30 or a podium, depending on how high you want to put the bar, it's a team effort. There is no one who will ever become Olympic champion or have a medal at the World Championships without having a strong team around them. Um, and I think that's maybe the biggest struggle we have is that we don't have that environment in place and then we need to work really hard to get that into place. And I think that's where it's really paying off right now for the US team uh, or the Slovenian team that they have been working really, really hard to establish this group of both male and female athletes. Um, like the Slovenians, they had a talent program, I know, where Anna Marie Lampic, for instance, was part of, and they went to the Open Junior National Camp in Shushun. Uh, with the Norwegians when they were juniors and they sent seven, eight athletes there and more or less all those athletes continued on skiing. And that was the first time the Slovenians did it. Uh, and now, as you said, they have a super talented um, uh, women uh, squad, but they also have super good male skiers, sprinters especially. So um, it just shows if, if, you, if you have talents, you just really, really got to help them to choose cross-country skiing. 
You know, I'm thinking of like, oh my gosh, I think it was 2012. Was that the London Olympics? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it seems like forever ago, but I know it's like, <laughs> you know, Britain has had, they obviously, there's Paula Radcliffe. They've have, a, you know, Bannister. There's a long legacy of runners um, yeah. in Britain. Um, and they've had cyclists here and there, but I know that there was like this huge push from British cycling before the Olympics. And now it, all of a sudden you've got Brits winning the Tour de France, um, you know, things that you never really would have contemplated 20 years ago. Um, and a lot of that seemed to be, there were some deep pockets funding those programs. Um, like is fi financially, and I know you folks have a small type program in Britain, um, but how difficult is it to seek out funding and to make it viable so that one is you can sustain exactly what you folks are doing and keeping those those athletes in the hunt for medals but also you know attract younger athletes and make it interesting and viable for them i just say for our team the world cup team and the world cup program the frames we have now compared to what we had five years ago as big time. It's like in 2015, it was one coach, which was Roy, almost like a volunteer. Uh, and he and he brought in people to help them out on races. So I helped out some race weekends and other helped others and both with coaching and, and the same with boxing. And the athletes trained most of the time uh, in Norway and did uh, many of the camps with their teams there. It was, it was a national team but it was not on the same setup we have now. But then, uh, when GB Snow Sport was kind of re-established, uh, before Pyeongchang, we got on board people there in administration who made it possible to get funding from the same thing you talked about, about British cycling and things coming up to uh, London 2012, which is um, in UK sport, uh, <clears throat> where it's funded from lottery, the lottery fund, UK lottery fund, and we have gotten into that program. So after that, it was then possible to employ both me and Hans as coaches. It was possible to employ a box manager. It was possible for us to go to places and have have the camps we needed. So uh, it's a total it's a total different world now uh, than it was back then. But the reason why we have gotten into this program and got this money is because of the results that the team produced prior to this. So. It is like, like I said earlier, without the work being done uh, in the years before Hans and I come on board, we would not have been possible to develop the team in the direction we are doing now. Uh, and it's also from these, these funding, like I said, uh, uh, like they have talent identification camps in, in GB, they are also coming from the same program. So that is kind of a part of being a part of UK sport. So that's a big changeover for cross-country skiing in, in Britain. So, yeah, so I'd say that uh, funding-wise, uh, we are in a good place. Uh, we are making budgets every year. Uh, we are not only coaches, as you may know. We have to do lots of things, and we also are the ones uh, looking after <laughs> our books most of the time. So so we are also the ones putting up budgets. And so far, uh, we try to derive that to make it as ideal we want to have it. But so far, we haven't got a no yet from our federation. So, so we are in a good good place in that case. Hmm. Honestly, you guys have been on my radar for a while, but we just get, we we like, for obvious reasons, we get focused in on the athletes. 
Uh, but the reality is I wanted to talk to you guys about, you know, exactly what we've been discussing. Like how, how does it work that you can have this small nation um, and be very competitive, uh, you know, at yeah. the highest levels? I appreciate that. And before we end, we should also mention that we uh, the team has a podcast from time to time. We put out as well. Uh, inside CrossFit, where uh, there is a mix of Hans and I talking, and sometimes uh, the athletes are running a show. So the last uh, last program is Jimmy and Andrew was hosting, and uh, is a new coming out soon with an interview with Gabriel and Mika Fermulen, interviewed by uh, by Young and, and Jimmy. So yeah, so how, yeah. like I'm curious, um, is that provide you like a little bit of an outlet, you know, creative outlet? On the side, yeah, but we have fun. I figure out both answers now that the athletes are better than us, so <laughs> they're more creative. Than us. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we are more boring, but uh, that's how it is. <laughs> yeah, right, right, that's how it is. Well, thanks again, really appreciate it. And we'll make sure, like, I think maybe when the world cup kicks up, we'll uh, would you be open to get it? You know, I always have to warn people, it's like when you come on to Devin's show, it's all fair game. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that would just be fun. Yeah, yeah. Fun. Okay. Um, well, I appreciate your time. Glad we could connect. Thanks for Thank your interest, Jason. Yeah, bye-bye. Take care, yeah. Jason. Bye. Cheers. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about British Nordic and their life on the World Cup, you can subscribe to their own podcast called Inside Cross-Country Skiing, wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'll also link to it in our show notes.